Have you ever heard the idea that all Asians are smart? Good at math, right? Yep, that's the one. Or that they all got money but are staunch to spend it. Hmm, okay, that one might have a little bit of truth to it. Or that they're quiet, not really into the whole politics stuff, activism, who now? <laughs> and that they're really the perfect example of a minority, of what a citizen should be when they come to America. We've all heard these things to different degrees. Some of us who belong to the Asian community even agree with them. Ah, the magic of living in a bubble. Well, I'm about to buzz that bubble for you. And to tell you the truth, the model minority myth just ain't it. This is Model Minority, Uniquely American. Hey there. Great to have you. Welcome to Model Minority, Uniquely American. I'm your host, Neely Shastri. Thanks for being here. I'm a self-identified model minority with a background in political science, environmental science, and activism. And I'm here because I've heard my share of stereotypes associated with my identity. Furthermore, I've seen a lack of representation of stories like my own. So now... I'm here to help tell them. Together, we're going to bust this model minority myth and really unravel the issues going on largely in the Asian and Asian American community, but also in communities like African immigrants, Middle Eastern immigrants, and the generations that come after them. So I'm sure you're wondering, what is this model minority myth? Well, I'll let Dr. Yoon Pak tell you. I am Yoon Pak. I am uh, an associate professor and interim head of education policy, organization, and leadership here at the University of Illinois, and I've been here for almost 20 years. The model minority myth, as we currently um, use it, it's really based on how uh, Asian, Asian Americans were able to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps using that phrase, um, devoid of governmental assistance, right? So it's, it really is an extension of the Horatio Alger story about um, how one can quote-unquote make it in the United States. Certainly it is a myth because it, it does not capture the realities and the complexities of uh, how Asian Americans have lived in the United States, Asian immigrants, and it doesn't capture the whole totality of people of color's experiences in the United States. So it sets up a false narrative um, of pitting uh, one minority group against the other. And how was this myth started? Well, according to Dr. Pak, it has a very clear origin story. Um, the 1960s when the myth came to be precisely along the lines of when the civil rights legislation were being passed in 1964 and 1965. Um, I once heard that it came from a Time article. Have you ever heard that? It's um, from U.S. News and World Report. That's right. This whole myth started with an article published in the U.S. News and World Report and an additional one in the New York Times Sunday Magazine. Here's how it went down. 
On December 26, 1996, the U.S. News and World Report published an article titled Success Stories of One Minority Group in the U.S. The uh, U.S. News and World Report is uh, then looking at Chinese Americans in New York, for example, and San Francisco and other places, to say then, well, you know, if you look at Chinatowns in these cities, you'll notice that these are now the bastions of kind of success, if you will. But then if you look at the history of, of Chinatowns in the late 1800s, they were certainly not cast in, in, that, in that light. And so this whole notion that, you know, you'll find Chinese-American kids at grips in their studies in Chinatowns, there's low crime rate. So it, and in that article, it sets specifically, right, how they are doing better than African-Americans in that light. Because they don't need a government welfare check, and these would be the exact kind of phrases that they use in those articles. The article Dr. Pak is referring to had tons of problems that propelled us into our modern understanding of the model minority myth. The author explicitly attributes, and I quote, hard work, thrift, and morality to the success of Chinese immigrants in the U.S. It also quotes a minister at the time who stated, quote, many are in debt when they arrive. They have a language problem. They are used to rural culture and have a false kind of expectation, end quote. This article created the idea of hard work being the key factor for Asian success, and it pit racial groups, particularly African Americans, specifically against Asians. We'll be hearing more from Dr. Pak as the series goes on, but for now, let's break down this example she uses of Horatio Alger. It's actually a reference to the idea that minorities or low-income people can merely pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The name comes from an author, Horatio Alger, who wrote many stories with one common theme, the American dream. The idea that no matter where you come from or what your background is, you can pull yourself up from rags to riches in America. The problem with this is that many people have distinguished that the Horatio Alger idea is rather far from the truth. This is due to something referred to as the Gatsby Curve, which is a chart that tracks the relationships between wealth inequality and social immobility in different countries. It's referenced in a 2013 article from The Atlantic titled The Great Gatsby Curve, Why It's So Hard for the Poor to Get Ahead. This article states that high-income kids who don't graduate from college are 2.5 times more likely to end up rich than low-income kids who do. A 2014 article published by The Washington Post puts really well into words why the American dream doesn't quite work. In fact, you don't even have to read past the title, which states, Poor kids who do everything right don't do better than rich kids who do everything wrong. Although I do suggest you do read past the title, because they have some great data to back that up. So why is it that we turn to Asians when we think about exemplifying the American dream? Well, the current narrative in the U.S. tends to stick to one particular type of Asian, the so-called model minority. 
The doctors, lawyers, engineers galore are the people we hear about, the tropes we see on TV, and the way all Asians tend to be painted. So, returning to the myth itself, it's possible you're hearing it stated as a myth for the first time. And it can be kind of hard to learn that this is a problem, especially when your awareness of this myth up until this point has mostly been, all Asians are good at math. Thanks, Andrew Yang. (laughs) But seriously, regardless of what your past or even current views on this issue may be, it's a tangible problem. And here's why. The consequences of the model minority myth range from seemingly small microaggressions, which are things like snide comments or discluding actions towards a particular demographic, to large gaps in funding and a lack of immigration resources. Yeah, it can actually put people in a very crippling cycle where they keep going to a job that they hate and they get into a terrible mindset, you know? And they begin resenting, like, their families and stuff because it's like, if I, if I didn't have a family, if I didn't have to make all this money, then I wouldn't, you know, be in this stupid job. Asians are aware of that and they try to fulfill it instead of, like, breaking it down, especially, like, Asian parents. It's not like, let's let's ignore the white man's myth, you know, it's like, Yes, let's uh, fulfill it so we can be good with a white man. That's my friend Nuha, who identifies as a Pakistani-American woman. Basically, what she's talking about is how people become constrained by trying to fulfill the model minority myth. It places an uneven burden on Asian parents and Asian immigrants and even Asian Americans and requires us to fulfill something that may not be in our best interest. And this can be applied more broadly to even the model minority myth as a whole. Things like economic issues, racial issues, and providing documents in different languages all become compounded in the Asian community and the model minority community at large. And This myth has its claws deep in the root of all of these problems. It actually reminds me of the term biomagnification, which refers to how plastic or metal poisoning can move up in a food chain. Okay, now hear me out. I am an environmental scientist after all. So basically, you have an itty-bitty fish that eats some microplastics in the water, You know, an old credit card or some microbeads from your body wash. Yeah. (laughs) And then you have a bigger fish that eats that one. And then a bigger one that eats that one. And then a bigger one. Until you have a whale that eats, what, 10 fishes like the one we just saw. Now, apply that concept to the model minority myth and you're faced with a rough reality. We have all been thrown into the belly of a whale, painted as the same, and now the compounded poison is collectively killing us. When you really break down the huge school of fish that is the entire model minority community, you see the multitude of diversity. You see South Asians, East Asians, Southeast Asians, and more. Each community is affected by its different things. Southeast Asians face high levels of deportations. South Asians face rampant Islamophobia and racism. And East Asians face fetishization and demasculization. And these are just merely a few examples of issues in these communities going under address and under answered, leaving us to sit in the mess. 
This myth pressures all model minorities to be successful at whatever possible cost or hide their stories when they don't quite make it. Many people go years without hitting the imaginary gold that is the American dream, losing it all in the process, and often having to lie to those back home in other countries about their success. We are all trying to assimilate into the system. We are all trying to make it. And that means that model minority communities have the idea that we better be on our best behavior. By calling out issues in political and social spheres, we risk losing it all. This is how we are erased. This is how we remain invisible. How is it that we have a stereotype that all Indians work at gas stations and 7-Elevens, and yet they are also all call center representatives, and they're also all doctors and engineers. It is this very inconsistency that shows an example of the model minority myth folding itself over its own head. And unless we tell our stories, as many as we can put out there, we risk truly becoming invisible. Speaking of which, join me in the next episode where I explore the things that give model minorities the name, the invisibles. I'll be touching on the idea that all Asians are silent, politically inactive, and submissive to authority. So if you're curious to reaffirm the ways in which they're not, stay tuned. To conclude, I just wanted to pose a question to you all. Who are you? What groups do you belong to and what inspires you to listen? <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to be part of the model minority community to respond. Oh, and if you have topics that you want me to cover, go ahead and tweet me at Minority Model on Twitter or follow us on Facebook under the same name as this podcast, Model Minority, Uniquely American. Model Minority was created, written, and produced by yours truly, Neeti Shastri. Funding for this podcast comes through a grant through the Gender Women's Studies Building at the University of Illinois. If you like what I do and want to contribute, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash model minority. As always, shukriya, thanks for listening, and I'm glad to have you here.